0: Welcome to One Cause Church. Here is another inspirational message from Senior Pastor Eric Holler. Tonight I want to talk to you on the subject of the believer's conscience. The the believer's conscience. Okay? Now, this is a a subject that is very important for us as the church to look at um, because in it, in this subject we find some discomfort, um, we find some areas in our lives where we need to change the way we think, uh, change our attitudes, uh, and really this what we're going to talk about tonight is to really help you see that the church is to be motivated by nothing other than love, yeah. and we are to love one another, Amen. the kind of love that covers a multitude of sins. The kind of love that removes fear, because that's the kind of love that God gives us. And he says, the word says that perfect love casts out all fear. I'm grateful to know a God who does not want me to be afraid. Now, I was raised in a pretty religious atmosphere and some of my upbringing, and and we were all taught about that we better be afraid of God because judgment day is coming. And Judgment Day is coming. There's no doubt about that. But for the believer, that's not a day to be afraid of. Amen. John said that's the day that we are confident in. Because we're not confident that we did so good. We're confident that Jesus did so good for us. Amen. So all of our hope is in Him. And that's why John said that way we may have boldness in the day of judgment. Who are we to be bold before the judge of the world? We are His children. That's who we are. And we have access to not only God, but the Father, a God who is our Father. Amen. So on this subject of the conscience, I want us to take our Bibles and go to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. As we are continuing in our teaching on throughout the Corinthian letters, and remember, this is a classroom setting. So while we were in this series, if you have a question, please raise your hand. And you can ask it right here in the room, but you will be handed a microphone so that everybody can hear your question. We have people who are watching um, on our live stream, and we have people who listen on our podcast. And there's a good chance that they may have the very same question that you do. All right? So we want to get people's questions answered and uh, help us all become better equipped and have better understanding of the Word of God and um, our lives in Him. Can we pray for just a moment? Father, thank you for this time together. Lord, I thank you that you give me grace to do this that I'm doing now. I thank you, Lord, for the privilege I have to teach your word. And Lord, I thank you that your word is life to those who find it, and it is health to all of their flesh. Thank you that your word is living and it's relevant for our lives right now. This ancient book is still alive. And is still applicable to our everyday lives in 2017. That's an amazing thing, God. And we thank you for that. That you love us so much that you've given us truth to live by. Truth to elevate us. Truth to set us free. I pray, God, tonight for the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of Christ to be upon your people in this moment right now. Lord, change us tonight. Speak to us. Deal with our hearts. Let us Leave better than we came in. Because yeah. life God. in you is one that gets Thank better you. and better. Yeah. Sweeter and sweeter. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you, Thank Father. You. In Jesus' name. Pray. Amen. Pray. This, this man consulted his doctor. And he said, Doctor, I've, uh, I've been misbehaving. And uh, my conscience is really troubling me. And the doctor said, "So you want something to strengthen your willpower?" He said, "No, I was thinking of something that might weaken my conscience." <laughs> 1 Corinthians 6 chapter 6 verse 12 says this, "All things are lawful for me, or all things are permissible for me, but all things are not helpful." Did you hear that? All things are permissible for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful or permissible for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. Wow, that's interesting. I will not be brought under the power of any what? Of any permissions or any liberties. You know that you can be brought under the power of your liberty to where it does damage and especially damage to others. Um, So we as Christians have to make a decision Either we're going to live our lives according to what we can do, what is permissible, what we're free to do, or are we going to live our lives for what is helpful? In other words, Paul is saying, I can, but just because I can doesn't necessarily mean I should. Because if it hurts someone else, then the whole purpose is defeated in this liberty. And Now I want you to take your Bible and go to 1 Corinthians chapter 10, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, and we'll begin reading in verse 23. I love the Apostle Paul. I love what he teaches us, and I love that he goes to this area of the Christian life. He teaches us about absolutes. He teaches us about the absolute gospel and staying true to its message. And not deviating from that message. And not adding to that message. And not being ashamed of that message. What is that message? Christ died for our sins. Yeah. Amen. And he was buried. And he rose again from the dead three days later. There it is. Isn't that the most wonderful news in the world? Yeah. He died for our sins so that we wouldn't have to die from our sins. Yeah. And anyone who believes on him will receive everlasting life. What a grace! What a glorious thing that he—he he does not expect us, nor does he want us, nor does he require us to change our behavior. Now, now, now let me let me say that. Let me give context to that for justification—that is to be for us to be made right with God. We couldn't—we couldn't be good enough. Couldn't be good enough, and so. Jesus had to help us because we needed to be rescued. We could not save ourselves because we were broken by our sin. All of us, every one of us, born sinners. But God made a way for us to be born again through faith in Jesus and to be free from the tyranny of sin and death. Verse 23 of 1 Corinthians 10, again, Paul says this again, All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but not all things edify. So we're going to see really the point of our liberty is not to be able to do what we want, but to help others. Verse 24, let no one seek his own, but each but each one the other's well-being. Oh, so this brings that into context, right? It helps us understand what he's really saying here. He's saying, let's not live for ourselves, but let's seek the good for others. Now watch this. Eat whatever is sold in the meat market, asking no questions for conscience sake. Interesting. For the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Now there's an amazing statement right there. All right. In other words, he said everything here is from God. If any of those who do not believe invite you to dinner and you desire to go, eat whatever is set before you, asking no questions for conscience sake. He's going to make this very clear. But if anyone says to you, this was offered to idols. Do not eat it for the sake of the one who told you. Did you see that? Not for your sake, but for the sake of the one who told you that. And for conscience' sake. For the earth is the Lord's and all its fullness. Conscience, I say, not your own, but that of the other. In other words, he's saying this is to help the other person. Okay? For why is my liberty judged by another man's conscience? But if I partake with thanks, why am I evil spoken of for the food over which I give thanks? Therefore, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Give no offense either to the Jews or to the Greeks or to the church of God or to Facebook or to Instagram or to any other social media outlet. Is that what it says? I think, I think you would have said it today. Just as I also please all men in all things, not seeking my own profit, but the profit of many that they may be saved. Wow. So now, we're going to go to Romans 14 and expound on this a little bit more. We understand that the motivation behind all that he's saying here is to be helpful to others, for the profit of others, to seek others' well-being. Really, it's to be motivated by love. Uh, Romans chapter 14. Let's read here for a second. Have we got it on the screen yet? Verse 1. Romans 14. I want to I thank um, our lady behind the computer back here tonight, Caitlin, uh, because I uh, changed the message like three minutes ago. <laughs> and i would given her all other scriptures. So <laughs> thank you, sweetheart. Can we give her a big hand? She's doing a great job tonight. Now watch this, receive one who is weak in faith, but not to disputes over doubtful things. Next, for one believes he may eat all things, but he who is weak eats only vegetables. Let's let that one set in for just a, that's actually in the Bible. Wow, he who is weak eats only vegetables. What is that, what is that saying that says, um. How do you spot a vegetarian at a party? They'll tell you. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and if you're a vegetarian, I'm not coming against you tonight. God bless you. Okay. It's just more meat for me to eat. <laughs> let not him who eats despise him who does not eat. Watch this. And let not him who does not eat judge him who eats. For God has received him. Did you see that? Who's received him? Then what right do we have to reject him? Huh? We have no right. If God has received them, we only have one obligation—to receive them too. Oh, that's good. That's that's really good. You should have amened. Really good there. So here's the issue to which Paul is speaking: is the matter of personal convictions. Individual Christians will often differ over matters of conscience and of liberties. I mean, haven't we been in the church long enough to realize that? Huh? How many of you have been in church long enough to realize that people argue over that? And really, it's a useless argument. But in this chapter, Paul mentions the matter of eating meat or only vegetables, of observing certain holy days, uh, of drinking wine. (gasps) While two Christians may disagree over whether or not a Christian should eat only vegetables or drink wine, that's... That's one thing, but we all agree tonight that no Christian should dispute the fact that lying, stealing, killing, immorality, these are actual sins, right? These are biblical and moral absolutes. We have that clearly from the scripture. Is that right? Uh, I think many times what we call sin and what God calls sin are two different things. Amen. See, I told you this wouldn't be comfortable, I don't think Christians should argue over whether uh, Jesus was born of a virgin. I mean, isn't that a settled issue? That should be a settled issue. (laughs) Or the fact that Jesus is God. Or even the physical resurrection of Jesus and his death and burial and resurrection. These are doctrinal certainties. So when we understand Paul is speaking with regard to individual liberties, Christian rights, and personal convictions, then it's easy to see the difference in Paul's attitude in this chapter as opposed to some other places. Because when Paul is being extremely strong, and black and white, that has to do with the truth of the gospel, making sure that it comes to fruition, and nothing is hindering that. That nothing comes against the truth. False teaching, false beliefs, he deals with those straight on. But here, here he kind of takes us into that gray area. Yes. Because there were those at one time, and, and still are today, unfortunately, um, we, we know about the, the council in Jerusalem that took place in Acts chapter 15 when the church was just beginning and uh, people like us, Gentiles, were coming into the kingdom of God at one time. It was only Jews who were finding favor with God, but when Jesus died, he opened his favor to all of us. And so there were, all of a sudden, now these disputes come and they see these pagan bacon eaters coming in and... Uh, And they didn't much like it. And uh, so they taught that it was impossible actually to be saved, to be a Christian, apart from keeping the law. I want to just read part of that to you right quick. And certain men came down from Judea and taught the brethren. Now I have to use the accent for the Pharisee, okay? Unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. (laughs) They all have British accents. Unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. Wow. Therefore, when Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and dispute with them, they determined that Paul and Barnabas and certain others should go up to Jerusalem to the apostle and the elders about this question. So the question was there. The church leaders were there. And they discussed this. And there was a lot of arguing going on, a lot of going back and forth. And finally, they concluded, thank God. Thank God for Peter who had that testimony that he went to Cornelius' house. He went to a Gentile's house and preached the gospel to him. And all they said was to him, all the prophets witnessed that whoever believes on him will receive remission of sins. And as he spoke those words, which is what? That's the gospel. Whoever believes on him, right? It says the Holy Spirit fell upon all those Gentiles and they started speaking in tongues. And Peter thought, what just happened here? So we saw that really it was a matter of faith. There was nothing about the Gentile that was required from God to keep the law. To do anything according to the Jewish custom, but to simply believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Hey, let me tell you tonight, you're all very thankful for that tonight. Okay? (laughs) That's good news to you. So with these kind of people, Paul was very severe because their doctrine was false. And um, so these in Rome, they're not of that sort all right? Uh, they, they were not saying that they had to avoid meat in order to be saved, or in order to go to heaven. They simply felt it was wrong for the Christian to eat meat, just as it was wrong to lie or steal, and, you, and those are not in the same category. So uh, the difference between Paul's response to the weakness uh, of Romans chapter 14 and the heresy of some other places uh, can, uh, uh, there, there's, a, there's a massive difference. So I have to keep moving. I have some notes I'm trying to get Past here because i don 't want to uh, encumber where we 're going so um, let 's see now maybe this was your experience when, when I was growing up in church i 'm um, I'm, I'm just to talk about in the area of conscious conscience tonight we 're just going to label it the strong and the weak all right and because he talks about those who being weak in faith uh, but i when I was growing up. A strong Christian, somebody who was strong in faith, was somebody who was defined by what they abstained from. Right? We don't drink. We don't dance. We don't no. Yeah, we don't drink. We don't smoke. We don't chew. We don't dance with the girls that do. Uh, in, in, in this little private school I went to, I've told you about this before. Uh, Woo, boy! I mean, uh, the the people there, the church that had that hosted that school. I appreciate my Christian education for the most part, um, but the people there had a strong belief. I mean, they were all about the rules and regulations. The women did not wear makeup; they should have, but they didn't. (laughs) And they they wore their hair all the way down to here because they believed that that you know, if a woman cuts her hair, it's a sin. Uh, They wore skirts all the way down. Here, you know, and uh, you couldn't even show an ankle, uh, you're going to hell. Woman could not wear pants. I know some of you think I'm kidding. I'm not kidding. It was uh, if a man had facial hair, he was going to hell. What century? This was in. I, I'm. Uh... Wow. Thank you, Tammy. What century? She says. Okay. So uh, it was, I can remember, like anything we seemed to do as kids, I'm talking like I'm third, fourth, fifth grade this time, and I heard this over and over again, you'll go to hell for that, 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 you'll go to hell for that. It was like, well, what can I do where I won't go to hell? Maybe I should just sleep all the time, stay in bed. My sister came to class, she's in kindergarten, she comes to class one day and my mom had put some clear coat, Uh, fingernail polish on a finger, and they sent my sister home. She cannot be here with that ungodly demonic polish on her fingernails. So uh, she she had to go home for the day. But it was, you know, the strong Christian was basically someone who lived in absolute terror that someone somewhere is enjoying themselves. And the weak Christian was seen as somebody who always talked about their liberties. Hmm. Kind of had it the wrong way around, didn't we? That we were looking at things in the wrong way. If this has been your understanding of the strong and the weak, then you had better take a closer look at this chapter, and that's why we're going to. The weak brother thinks it's wrong to eat meat, so he eats only vegetables. The strong knows there's nothing intrinsically sinful about meat eating. The weak seems to regard some days as more sacred than others. The strong regards every day alike. Right? But we have to be patient with one another in the area of conscience. And not try to change someone because they don't have the same convictions that you do. Because that's not our territory. That's God's territory. We are to simply do what Paul said. Receive them. Receive those. Receive one another. Love one another. Um, I can remember years ago, I had a friend who uh, called me up one day and said, Pastor Eric, I want to, I, I need your help with something. I, I've got some, some stuff that has, it, it's stuff that I, I've, well, it's kind of been an idol in my life, and I want to I burn it. And I'm always up something being on fire. So <laughs> I said, when and where, Lonnie? But when I found out what he wanted to burn, it kind of made me sick because he was an avid Kiss fan. And he had like, I mean, some really nice, really nice paraphernalia from the band. He had a pair of Ace Freely's pants and a lot of real good collector stuff. I mean, like, so I'm thinking, why don't you just sell this on eBay? What are you doing? <laughs> you don't want to burn this. Make some money on it. But his conscience was speaking to him. So I had to go with him where he was. And we showed up out at this, uh, out in the country, uh, out there outside of San Angelo. And another friend of mine, Pastor Todd, who I was serving at that time, we all went together and he had this big old box. And he starts pulling out all this stuff. And I'm going, Oh my Lord. Um, But I could see that this was extremely important to Lonnie to do this. And so we took a moment. And we prayed, and Lonnie said, Lord, I want to take another step closer to you, and I don't want anything hindering my walk with you. I don't want anything in the way. And then he poured gasoline on all, all over that <laughs> stuff, and, whoosh, and we just watched it burn. And as that happened, Lonnie just raised his hands. I mean, he, it was like something new happened to him that day. And it was an it was a joy for us to watch him, just take another step closer to God. To him, that was important, and so we were going to support him in that all the way. All right, whether I agreed with it or not, that's not the point, right? That's not the point. Um, And the because here's the issue. Here's here's why we have to be very careful about these things. Those who are weak in faith may hardly condemn some real liberties that we actually have in God. But if they see someone who's strong in faith may be doing what they condemn, well then then they participate in that. Now they've sinned against themselves. And they've they've been injured. They've injured themselves because their conscience right now is in process. You know, we're all in process. And, and we're maturing to come out of just what can I do to what's the best thing to do. all right? That is Christian Maturity 101. right? From what I can do to what is the right thing to do. What's the best thing to do. Like I said, it's all love. Um, those who are weak in faith, they are those who have not yet come to the full realization of the freedom and the liberty which is part of faith. Jesus said, you shall know the truth, and the truth will what? It will make you free. So they have a limited understanding of the nature and extent of grace that comes from God. Um, now, now, let me say, the, the weak ones are prone to um, condemn the actions of those that are strong in faith because they've not yet come to understand real Christian liberty. So as a result, they don't accept it in others. And they can be immediately recognized by their frown uh, and the contempt on their face. But let's just not talk about that. The strong are those who are more fully aware of the nature and grace and of the teachings of God's Word. Uh, they have a greater grasp of faith as far as our doctrine, the things that we believe and hold to and adhere to. So their, their personal faith then is stronger. But they're susceptible to the sin of being smug, right? Right? And, arrogance. and they can easily find contempt and disdain for those who can't fully grasp grace. And that's why I'm saying you can be brought under the power of your liberty rather than the power of love. So they can kind of have this face of one that is condescending and a smile of contempt. So that's why we all have to remember who we really are because Paul said if anyone thinks let nobody think of himself more than he really is. Amen. Are you okay? Amen. So he has a word of warning and instruction here in this passage of Scripture. So we're going to keep moving forward. Let's go. What, what's the last verse we read? 14, 2, 3? Let's read 3, and we'll just continue to read from there. For one, believe. Uh, let not him who de- despise him who, judges, uh, who does not eat, and let not him who does not eat judge him. Who eats for God has received him. Next. Who are you to judge another servant? To his own master he stands or falls. So who are we all accountable to in the area of conscience? Each other or God? God. To his own master he stands or falls. Indeed, he will be made to stand for God. He's able to make him stand. Next. One person esteems one day above another. Another esteems every day alike. Let each be fully convinced in his own mind. All right, you know what he's saying here about conscience, the conscience of of other believers—it's private property. All right, in other words, mind your own business. Oh, we love to hear that, don't we? (laughs) Now we like that rule applied when it comes to us, right? Okay, (laughs) he who observes the day observes it to the Lord, and he who does not observe the day to the Lord, he does not observe it. That's interesting. He who eats, eats to the Lord, for he gives God thanks. And he who does not eat, to the Lord he does not eat and gives God thanks. So he's taking us to a bigger thought here. For none of us lives to himself and no one dies to himself. Verse 8. For if we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. Isn't that really what counts? Hmm? For to this end, Christ died and rose and lived again that he might be Lord of both the dead and the living. That's comfort right there. Verse 10. But why do you judge your brother? Why do you show contempt for your brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. There's perspective. Huh? We better get busy with our own self-inspection. Huh? Because we're all, each one individually, going to stand before him. He's the judge. And we're going to stand before him and give account. Okay? We don't have time to be doing this. Okay? Why do you judge your brother? For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. Verse 12. So then each of us shall give account of himself or herself, ladies, to God. Verse 13. Therefore let us not judge one another anymore, but rather resolve this, not to put a stumbling block or cause to fall. In our brother's way. Verse 14. I know and am convinced by the Lord Jesus. This is an amazing statement right here. That there is nothing unclean of itself. Whoa. How does this guy know to say this? But to him who considers anything to be unclean, to him it is unclean. Now I want you to notice that here he did not say, make this a matter of evil. But he said unclean. Because we're in the, in the realm of the conscience. Not the absolutes. Okay. Next, yet if your brother is grieved because of your food, you are no longer walking in love. Do not destroy with your food the one for whom Christ died. Therefore, do not let your good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Next, for he who serves Christ in these things is acceptable to God and approved by men. Mm, That's very good. We must keep reading, though. Stick with me. Therefore, let us pursue the things which make for peace. Let's all say make for peace. Make for peace. Huh? Let's all pursue the things. Let us pursue the things which make for peace and the things by which one may edify another or build another one up. Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food or for the sake of your liberty. All things indeed are pure, but it is evil for the man who eats with offence. It is good neither to eat, meat, nor drink wine, nor do anything by which your brother stumbles or is offended or is made weak. Do you have faith? Have it to yourself before God. Happy is he who does not condemn himself in what he approves. That's pretty clear, isn't it? Let me say something for a moment. That when John the Baptist prophesied of Jesus' coming, of the coming one, He had a very unique role in the whole scope of um, God's timing, God's kingdom. He is what is called the bridge prophet. He, He was an Old Testament kind of prophet, but he declared New Testament kind of things. And he was the one that Isaiah had said that he would prepare the way of the Lord and make his path straight. So when John the Baptist stepped on the scene, I mean, he was something to behold, He lived in the wilderness, he wore camel hair for clothes, and he ate locusts for for food. This guy's hardcore, (laughs) right? And he went around preaching, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, a fiery preacher. But then when you talk about Jesus, he would talk about the coming one, and he would say things like this. He, when he comes, he is going to thoroughly, thoroughly, cleanse the threshing floor. The axe has already been laid to the root of the tree. I mean, so he kind of brought out this imagery of this one who's coming and he is going to set things straight. I mean, he's coming and rules are coming with him. He's going to make everything straighten out. So you better be ready. So, I mean, it's like this ominous kind of announcement of Jesus. And then when Jesus showed up, and Paul, Paul John looked at him and said, Behold the Lamb of God, which takes away the sin of the world. And then the next thing we know about Jesus is that Jesus uh, starts talking to this tax collector, or what the Jews call the sinner. We'd probably call him that too because it's basically the IRS. <laughs> and the tax collectors were not... Uh, they were not loved by the people because these tax collectors actually worked for the Romans. And they were for hired by them to take taxes from their own people. So you can imagine how betrayed the people continually felt by having their brothers and sisters take from them and profit from it. So Jesus shows up at this guy named Levi or Matthew, shows up at his house, and he's talking, or actually, he's, he's at his office, and he's talking to him at his, at his, at his desk, basically, and, and then Matthew says, will you come to my house for dinner? And Jesus says, yeah. So he goes to Matthew's house, and I mean, this place is full of sinners, Full of IRS agents. <laughs> people of the like. People that are despised by society. And Jesus is sitting right amongst them, drinking wine with them. And John, a little later on, is thrown into prison. And then he sends, he has some guys come and visit him, and and he says, I need you to go ask Jesus this question. Are you really the coming one? What, John, you don't know? I mean, come on. You announced he was the one. But he said, are you really the coming one? Because, uh, I just need to know that. And so then they came to John. (laughs) They came to Jesus, and Jesus said, Tell John that the blind see, and the deaf hear, and the lame are walking. Oh, and blessed is he who's not offended of me. Because somewhere along the way, John had an idea of what Jesus was supposed to look like, and what he was supposed to do. And when he didn't look like he was supposed to, and he didn't act like he was supposed to, John got offended at him. Now, how many of you think that Jesus was going around committing sin? I hope you don't think that because you never did. But to this man's mind, this is not what it's supposed to look like. That's why I'm saying these these things are uncomfortable to the religious person in us. We don't like talking about these things. We want to make everything absolute, yeah. and you need to believe what I believe because I'm right. And can we just come to the place in our in our Christian walk that being right isn't everything, yeah. but loving one another is? Yeah. Yeah. Hey, listen, that's good marital advice tonight for you, husbands and wives. <laughs> I mean it, because you know you live with each other so long, uh, and, and your conversation turns into you justifying yourself. I'm winning this argument. I don't care. How long this happens, I will end up being right in this thing. And that's your whole goal, right? Does, has it ever helped you, though? No. No. It just makes for a really long argument. So there's a better, there's a, there's a better thing. There's a better thing called love. And that love is the motivating factor, not being right. And that's what Paul is talking about here. This isn't about you being right. This is about loving one another and serving one another and looking out for the interest, the best interest of others, not seeking your own profit, even though it's all you have all the liberty that you have in Jesus. But don't use it as a sword. Don't use it to destroy others. Amen. Matter of fact, don't do it if you don't have to. Don't be sold out to your liberty over your brother and sister. But be motivated by love. And we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about this next time. A, it's a big subject because we also have to talk about situational ethics versus Christian ethics. All right? And, and, and the way the world's standard in that is way different than what the Bible teaches us. All right? And we'll begin to make the lines even clearer for us to. Understand who we are and, and whose we are and how we are to live our lives in this world. That love wins in the end. All right? And love gives. God so love that He gave. And so if we're motivated by love, we'll always be giving. Always be thinking of others ahead of ourselves. Does this help you tonight? Yes. Yeah. Amen. OK, praise God. Amen. Father, I want to thank you for this time together. Thank you, Lord, for this great church. God, I am so blessed to serve here as their pastor. I am truly blessed. Lord, I believe that you have put me in the best church in the world. And I thank you, God, for this church that is motivated by love. This is one church where I have truly found real love. I thank you, God, for this people who demonstrate love for one another here. And even into their own lives outside of here, Father. I thank you for continuing to help us to be motivated by that one thing and that thing alone. Uh, Even our faith works by love. Everything flows out of the love of God to us and through us. Help us, Lord, not to get caught up in menial things, not to even get caught up in our own liberties, but in what is helpful. Thank you, Father God, that there is no condemnation here tonight. There's no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Thank you, Lord, that you've delivered us from that. And you brought us into this glorious salvation. By grace, we are saved through faith. And that not of ourselves. It's the gift of God, not of works, so that none of us can boast about it. All glory goes to you. Thank you, Father, for your blessing on your people as they go out here tonight even as they've been blessed and they're coming in. I declare over them, no weapon formed against them will prosper. Every tongue that rises against them in judgment, they shall condemn. Thank you, Father God, that they go out of here tonight strengthened in spirit, soul, and body tonight. Lord, for those that are here tonight who may be struggling in health, I thank you right now that you are our healer. You sent your word and you healed us and you delivered us from our destruction. And that you intentionally let them Lay those stripes on your back, Lord Jesus, so that we could receive healing. Thank you for that now being released into these lives now in the name of Jesus. Thank you, Father God, for blessing these, Lord, who tonight are in need. Some are in financial need tonight. And I thank you that you give us a promise that you will supply all of our need according to your riches and glory by Christ Jesus. And you are able to do it exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we could ask or think. Thank you, Father God. I I just thank you for peace in every home, peace in these marriages, peace with their children. I declare over their children, all of them shall be taught of the Lord, and great shall be their peace. Thank you, Lord. And that you give your angels charge over them to keep them in all of their ways. In Jesus' mighty name. And now may the Lord bless you and keep you and cause his face to shine up on you and be gracious to you and give you peace in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Thank you for listening, and we hope you enjoyed the message. For more information about One Cause Church, please visit us online at onecausechurch.com.